This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. It's not complete without my second half. Call McClellan. Uh, it's getting kind of weird. I probably shouldn't say that anymore. I know we need to we need to figure out a new intro for sure. But we're not that creative. The oil god himself, Call McClellan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's just get right into it, man. Let's get just, who we Let's got today. We got my man Ryan Hunt from Rig Callout. What's going on, Ryan? Hey guys, thanks for having me on here. I yeah. appreciate you reaching out and happy yeah, to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. You're actually uh, St. Louis, correct? I am St. Louis, Missouri. St. Yep. Louis, man. Far so, from the oil field. I think you're the yeah. first person probably from St. Louis. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. he's the first, but I'm thinking that he might like hold that reigning title for a while. Yeah. I just don't meet very many people from St. Louis that are in this space, so I think it's a safe bet to say you're the only one. Can I get you guys to sign an exclusivity on here? <laughs> no more St. Louis. <laughs> no more. Company. I don't think we even have to worry about it, to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you. Yeah. I don't, I don't so think as, we need as it. As curious as I am about your, your St. Louis story and then your origin story, give us just really quickly high level rate call out what do you guys do so high level what we do is we connect the entire supply chain under one software solution so it's a universal dashboard that allows any operator any upstream midstream offshore onshore supplier service company trucking company to view their entire supply chain on one dashboard so it doesn't matter who your vendor is who your trucking company is it's all on one place we all know adoption is tough in the oil field when you got to learn a bunch of systems We've trimmed it down to one, and we allow everybody in one place at one time to operate. So you say to track the whole logistics system, is this specifically trucking, or is it you know everything end-to-end on the, on the logistics supply chain side? Because, I mean, obviously, you know you can go real in-depth onto that. Is so. there an end-to-end solution yeah. in the oil field? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. We, so what we do is we, we track the last mile. So anything going from a stocking point to the rig or to the right-of-way, or to a, to a port. We allow tracking those trucks, that equipment, those supplies, those people to location. Okay, very good. So let's kind of talk about, you know, obviously we've talked about how you're from St. Louis. Let's talk about your background. You know, how, how did you get to this point? What did you do before rig call out? It was a very, it was a long road. So I spent 10 years in the, in the pipe business. We sold, you know, OCTG, downhole pipe, casing and tubing, we sold carbon steel line pipe as well. And I worked for a company for eight and a half, nine years, and we were a direct distributor. So we were dealing directly with the field guys, directly with the procurement guys, operators in all facets of midstream and upstream. And it, it's amazing how much time you spend on the supplier side, getting that pipe out to location, getting those valves out to location, the fittings. You just, where's my truck? Is it at the yard? Is it loading? Is it driving? Is it braking? They're missing. Where are they at? You know, and then corralling all that. I was working seven days a week, getting those trucks to location and communicating that information. And, you know, kind of our, our origin question is, why is it that I could find, you know, all of my kids, all of my family members that have an iPhone in 10 seconds anywhere in the world, but I can't tell you where half a million dollars worth of pipe is traveling across the country with an iPhone in it. And it's just, it's one of those stupid, silly problems that you deal with in the oil field. And it's everywhere. And, and you spend, even on the sales side of, of selling pipe, you all sell a steel tube. You know, you jam down the hole or you bury it in the ground. And 
you spend 90% of your conversation talking about how you can get trucks to location. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have pipe. It's a great price. But here's the service end that I offer of, of communicating to you where your trucks are and how they get to location. And it's so time consuming and it wastes time. And all of us, you know, in our generation, it's like, there's got to be a better way. Like, why am I wasting this much time on the phone? Or, you know, every oil and gas company has a fax number. You know, they all <laughs> use fax machines. They all use whiteboards. They all... I mean, I can attest to this from firsthand experience with my job as a project manager for InVenture. You know, we're shipping out expandable casing from Houston to, you know, wherever field that we're at. And, you know, I take a plane up to Colorado and I'd get there and then I'm wondering where the hell is my truck at with the pipe? And, you know, I can't just call the truck driver, you know, I'm having to call the dispatcher and I'm like, you know, for Acme or whoever it is. I'm like, hey, can you give me a status on where my pipe's at, where this truck's at? And, you know, I got paid a good amount of money to be a project manager for InVenture. And I swear I spent half of my time chasing down trucks and <laughs> wondering where my pipe was at. And so you just think about the inefficiency of what I could be working on compared to what I was doing. It'd be so much easier if I could just pull my phone out of my pocket and, you know, get a, a real-time <laughs> GPS coordinate of that truck. And you know what? It's it's that easy with our system. You know, you, you can get on with your phone, with your tablet, with your computer, you know, it, it's it's that easy. It's that fast. And we've, we've built it in a way to work in the oil field. You know, you've been out in the field. You know how time-consuming it is to do anything. Mm-hmm. The last thing we need to be doing is is giving our customers more work to do. We've, we've built it so you can quickly look at your phone and know everything that's happening. Where's my trucks? Are they behind? Are they broken down? You know, are they late? Have we started the delivery process yet? Are our trucks covered? Do we have signed bills of lading? Do we have shipping tallies? Do we have, you know, certification paperwork attached to that? It's it's all of those things that go go into that. So you talk about, you know, arriving on location and saying, what's going on and where are my trucks? Well, you know, the same thing happens on the supplier side or the service end. And it happens twice as, as bad on the trucking end, you know, depending on what kind of trucking company you're using. Acme owns their own trucks. Mm-hmm. There are many other brokers that don't own their own trucks. So, you know, when you say you need something, they have to go out and find those drivers. So when you think your casing is on the way out to location, they're on the phones. Hey, can you cover this load? Can you cover this load? And it can take three, four, five hours to get a driver under that load. And our system monitors that. So, you know, hey, it's been four or five hours. We don't have any drivers. Is there a problem here? We believe proactive business is much better than reactive. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is 100% how it works. Even, you know, with Acme, when they did have to broker a truck, you know, if they didn't have someone available, having all those middlemen in the process, you know, there's not very much transparency to, hey, do we actually have a truck being sent out to pick up this load or not? Used a term, this is kind of off off topic, but used a term, was it OCTG pipe? Yes. What what does that mean or what does that stand for? Because I've seen that, but I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> Sorry. That's oil country tubular goods. Okay. So any, any pipe that you screw together and run downhole, you know, that's downhole casing, that's surface casing, intermediate casing, production casing, production tubing. Okay. All that goes downhole. Among Interesting. Many, many other things. I've seen that term. I've, I've seen that acronym, but I didn't know what it stood for. So the more you know, oil country tubular goods. <laughs> <laughs> So this platform that you guys have built out, who would you say your, your end consumer is or your customer? Is it the, the pipe companies 
themselves? Is it, you know, maybe trying to offer a service to get an edge on, on the other companies? Is it the trucking companies? Is it, you know, oil companies that are actually using the pipe? Who, who do you guys see as being the best market fit for the platform? Everyone. There's value among the entire supply chain. So, you know, we're talking to upstream, midstream operators. You know, we're talking to anybody delivering any kind of widget, whether it's a drill bit or pipe or valves or skids or, you know, drill pipe. And what, whatever goes out to a rig from Houston or from a stocking point, that's a target customer of ours. Trucking companies, you know, asset-based carriers like Acme. You know, owner operator, they don't own the truck, but they contract the truck directly. Mm-hmm. Brokerage, 3PL, all those are our customers. So we have, you know, we have three customer verticals that we service, and all of them have a tremendous amount of value with our product. Do you guys ever see this platform becoming like an Uber type platform? <laughs> well, well, you side like that, like you've been asked that a million times. So we're not a ride sharing platform. In the oil field. I, I feel like everybody in the startup community tries to be the oil field of some, or the Uber. The of Uber something, something. It's, yeah. It's super you know, annoying. I'm, Either the Uber or the Amazon of something, yeah. and it's super annoying here. But uh, just like in, in terms of the concept or idea of where you could order a truck on Hills platform, is that ever in the roadmap of what you guys are doing? Or just tracking shipments we we've thought about that you know we look at our product in in many phases and and you know what what you guys do here is 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 great because you are you're bringing technology and innovation into the oil field i mean that's what ultimately that's why we you know reached out to you guys that's why we've we keep communicating with you because what you're doing is is needed so badly in this space and you know so when we put our product in the hands of customers. You know, I always give the the analogy of a Formula One car. Like if any any of the three of us jumped in a Formula One car, we could probably, we probably couldn't even get it to move forward, you know? <laughs> and so we have to look at our product like that too. So if we get a product that's too complicated or they can't figure it out, we're going to have problems with adoption on truck drivers. They're not going to be able to figure out what to do. Therefore, they're not going to use it. Same with the field, you know, getting them to adopt a new technology platform is tough. And so we've got to trim it down and keep it very simple, stupid for everybody to get in there and use it. And then as the industry adopts, then we shift, we move into new gears, we go faster, we introduce more features like a load board, you know, connecting freight rates. The problem is, is those products exist today. What we do doesn't. And we want to kind of sit in that space and and offer a product Mm -hmm. that we're kind of the only go-to for at this time. Yeah. And when you talk about making the software easy for the end user, especially truck drivers, I think about, you know, you look at the implementation of electronic driving logs for truckers. And I've heard this from uh, trucking company owners that the software, you know, if it doesn't work properly, the driver just ends up, you know, becoming frustrated with it and turning off the electronic log and, you know, not using it essentially. And so you can't make products that don't work properly or become a hindrance to that end user's job, right? Like it has to make their job better or be seamless. That way they can operate it and not get frustrated with it. It does. And that a a lot of that for us is boiled into the messaging. You know, when we first did a lot of our early proof of concept and pilot test work, it was truck drivers don't want to be babysat. They don't want to be micromanaged. They don't want to be given a thousand tools to drive a truck. That's what they love to do. That's what they want to do. And so they go drive a truck and then, you know, the the government and the industry throws a bunch of technology on them. And if it doesn't make their jobs better, 
they won't use it. You know, mm-hmm. electronic logs, perfect example. You know, if they get frustrated with it or they feel like they're being babysat, they unplug them, you know, and so the adoption rates are low for that. Our adoption rates are high because our message is, you know, you're getting those phone calls from dispatch. You're getting those text messages because somebody out in the field wants to know, where's my truck? Mm-hmm. And if we know where the truck is and we know what's happening, we don't need to make those phone calls. Therefore, you can go drive. So, you know, what we're trying to do is, is actually make their lives better, not micromanage them. You know, we, the joke, we're not, we're not trying to catch you at the casino. We're not trying to catch you at your girlfriend's house. You know, just show up on time because that's all anybody cares about. Stay connected to our system and nobody's going to bother you. <laughs> so how does it actually, does it track through the phones or does it track through some kind of software on the actual trucks themselves? Or how are you guys actually tracking the location of the trucks? Purely software. So we have a okay. native Android app and iOS app <clears throat> on both platforms. Okay. And then we track them through either their phone or a company provided device. Okay. And we can do that in real time. So Okay. So this like pulls up a map and you can kind of see a little truck on the on the map kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So you can see on that map you can see everything relevant. So we, you know, as we run through our product demos, you know, we go through our dashboards and, and the primary dashboard is a hundred thousand foot view of your supply chain, color coded, it's got bars, it's it's so I can quickly glance at that in between tasks and know exactly what's happening without a single phone call. Then we allow you to drill into the information of, of the individual deliveries and say, you know, here are my five or 10 or 15 trucks. Here's the ETA for each of those trucks. Here's the communication string between these trucks. Here are the documents on that truck. And if we need to communicate something, we can do that directly with the driver. So we also remove all those broken links of communication as well and, and eliminate the the telephone game or, you know, as they say, the Chinese whispers as well. Mm-hmm. So while you guys are building this, this core platform, do you guys ever see in the roadmap kind of doing some type of analytic approach to it? Because I'm sure that you could get a ton of data on transport times, you know, which companies are able to deliver loads the fastest, most efficiently. Is that something that you guys plan on doing in the future? We do. We, and we'd love to, we'd love to, to release this sometime next year. That's kind of our phase two product is actually an analytics suite around your supply chain. You know, we, we go into a lot of the large operators, and if you guys follow any of these guys on LinkedIn or, you know, I'm sure you're well connected, they're all bringing in big data science groups mm-hmm. because they want to understand their business on, on an analytical level and know, you know, you know I, I remember a couple of my operators when they were drilling seven-day wells and they got that down to like 6.7. And they were through the roof. They were so excited about that, that little bitty change. And they do that because they're tracking those metrics. But if you asked, you know, what's your on-time rate for deliveries out on the rig? It's like, well, I don't know, you know. And, and <laughs> I, you know, maybe I'm going way out there to say, but I, I guarantee you that most suppliers and service companies out there in the field can't answer that question. Absolutely. If they're asked. And if they are, it's very rudimentary. Like, we know it's late if the customer calls and says it's late, not we actually have tangible third-party data that gives us this information. Yeah. I mean, I just think about all the downtime we had on rigs, waiting on trucks. And it's even like a thing with Acme. Like, I knew who my favorite driver was. Yeah. I said, do not send me anyone except for him. Like, he's the only guy that gets stuff to me on time or at least will call me and let me know if there's delays. And that was just through trial and error, right? Like just me, four years dealing with them. And after four years, I'd collected enough internal data in my head to know that 
I want this driver to deliver loads. I, I just assume that you'd be able to extract a lot of insight from your logistics and supply chain once you start tracking everything. What's interesting is we do see a lot on our platform. We see a lot of the culture and the way that operators operate on our platform. We see it in the supply <clears throat> side. We see it on the trucking side. But what's fascinating is, is we have the, the luxury of going in and talking to everybody. We get to talk to the operators. We talk to the service and supply guys. We talk to the trucking companies. So we know everybody's plans. We know everybody's you know, perception of performance. And you know, the industry is really fragmented. You know, it's nobody really knows how well of a job that they're doing. And because we get to take a step back and watch that, we get to see, you know, people's performance perceptions. How are they performing versus what they're actually saying in our meetings? And then, you know, on the flip side of that, the industry doesn't realize how much power it yields with their vendors. You know, everybody thinks they're too small unless you're Shell or Chevron or Anadarko they feel like they're not big and you know and a lot of these suppliers and a lot of these trucking companies will do anything even if you're running one rig because right now that's that's a lot of business for people mm-hmm. especially in in this type of environment we you know we we met with a pipe company in Houston and I'll call them ABC pipe I'm not going to give any names away on this <laughs> but very big distributor and you know we met with them and they're like oh you know we we carry all this weight with, with our trucking companies, they know not to screw up. They know to be there on time and they know what happens if they screw up. You know, we're never late. We build our, we build our logistics and our supply chain. So we're never more than, you know, a couple hours away from the actual drilling location. And so, you know, then a couple of months later, we go and talk to an operator running 19, 20 rigs up in the Northeast. And we said, what's your number one problem in your supply chain right now? And they said, casing deliveries from ABC pipe. So within one second, they could list this one vendor out of their, you know, f- what, 5,000 vendors probably mm-hmm. that they have. They can name this company right away because of all the late deliveries that they were having. So you have ABC Pipe here sitting here thinking that, oh, we're doing a really good job. We don't have any problems. And, you know, we have all this visibility and great performance. And the operators sitting over here going, these guys are dropping the ball all the time on us, so much so that I know them by name, not because of relationship, but by cut, because of their performance. And so, you know, and then a meeting later that day, actually, we met with another operator of an equal size, and we asked them what their, what their project was for 2019, and they said vendor consolidation. So they're going to come in and say, we don't need 10 pipe companies. We can do that with five. And so who are we going to get rid of? probably going to be the people with bad for performance it's going to be the people that never win bids and the the probability of that pipe company getting back into that vendor list after they've been you know eliminated is virtually zero you know it would probably take somebody retiring or dying mm-hmm. or some sort of major change in their supply chain for that to work and so we we see this dislocation all over the place nobody nobody's asking the question how am i doing you know, yeah, and, I mean, nor can they even answer the question. Yeah, and you need this. I mean, you need this medium of exchange, this platform for those companies to have that communication. Because take ABC Pipe for example. You know, they think that they're doing a really good job. Obviously, the the operator has something opposite to say. But if that's not getting communicated properly to ABC Pipe, how do they know? you know, what they can improve on or what they need to change. So providing that insight to both sides can be beneficial. Right. Cause it's, you know, 
It's not the the 998 successful deliveries that you have when you're trying to renew your contract or your drilling program. It's the two that you really messed up (laughs) that shut the rig down or caused somebody some sort of pain, you know, and that person might be sitting at the table when they say, you know, should we renew this contract or go with, with bid number two or this one that's a little bit cheaper. And, and it's those two that were a disaster that can make or break you. And if you don't know how you're performing, you can't, you can't vet that before, beforehand. You know, you find out after the fact, oh, it was those two deliveries we really screwed up on, you know, and that's why. And you have to account for that with your boss at some point. Yeah. And they're so, like, how did we not know that we've been screwing this business up for the last six months? It's a really slim margin of error in, in the oil and gas industry. Those two times can screw you over long term. <laughs> Are you guys getting into, I know you talked about, you know, certain companies doing vendor consolidation. We hear about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Are you getting into kind of like the, does your software cover like the vendor management type space? Or are you purely handling logistics and the feedback so that then you can take that back and then let them kind of run with that themselves? Like where's, where's the line? Like what? We're the lines for the platform. So we're, we connect individuals into the system. Okay. So, you know, we, we know that relationships are important. You know, if I'm buying pipe from ABC pipe, if I'm buying it from Joe Smith, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be communicating with Joe Smith, not ABC pipe on my computer. Mm-hmm. I want to be dealing with my guy. And yeah. so we allow that to take place. You know, okay. they're attached. Joe is attached to a company, you know, and, and as we start to grab that data, perform it and then present it, to the user when we build that suite. You know, it, it will be performance related so we can drill down into the metrics and say, when ABC Pipe is selling ABC oil and gas, you know, this is our performance, we're on time. These are how many deliveries, you know, we've scheduled and, you know, all the other metrics that would go into, you know, justifying if I'm the number two bid or the number three bid and I'm doing a good job, how can I justify that company to spend a couple extra dollars to continue doing business with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, what year did you guys start Rig Callout? How long has it been? We started in June of 2017. So I, I left, I actually, a little bit of the origin story is. Yeah, is so I want to know the, the backstory of how it got started <laughs> and how you made that jump from pipe salesman to startup founder. Yes. So I, I worked for a pipe distribution company for eight and a half, nine years. Loved it. Just great company enjoyed every minute of it but you know you're you're working seven days a week like the oil field 24 hours a day you're always on call you're always being interrupted and honestly a lot of it is solved by rig call out that's not why i left i actually left to help my wife grow her company do a little bit little bit of restructure but also bring a little bit of flexibility and to the family having two entrepreneurs or at least somebody in the oil field as well as an entrepreneur is kind of a hectic schedule especially with two kids absolutely so little crazy, but being with her company, she did, you know, a lot of sales and business development, corporate training, dealing with a lot of Fortune 500 companies. You know, you're not dealing with the oil field. It's a very different culture. You're always walking on eggshells. And I was still on everybody's drilling progs. So, you know, guys out on the rig and the pipeline would call me, say, hey, we're ready for our casing. Can you get it out here? And it's like, I'm not your guy anymore. You know, <laughs> you got to call this person. I'm sure you broke their heart. I'm not I, your guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we would talk for 45 minutes, you know, I need my casing like right away. But then we talked for 45 minutes, you know, and it, you just, I missed the people in the oil field. I missed the guys out on the rig. I missed being able to have real unsuperficial conversations with people and just like, do life together. Let's be real. My trucks are late. I have no idea where they're at. You know, you tell a fortune 500 company that, you know, and they're going to 
they're going to cut your head off. So yeah, I just, I miss these guys and it, and it really got back to, do I go back to the pipe business or do I start my own company? And if I start my own company, what am I going to do? And, and then, you know, if we all have an idea, it's like, what's the biggest pain point of what you're trying to do? And it was always that last mile of, of delivery. I was a sales guy in the pipe business and I'd spend 60 or 70% of my day managing deliveries. Where's my truck? Are they at the yard? Are they at the meeting spot? They're missing. Where are they at? You know, 20 minutes to death all day long. They're 20 minutes away. They're 20 minutes away. They're 20 minutes away. <laughs> it's come on, guys. You know, <laughs> if you can't get them on the phone, you can't find them. Just tell me that. I can plan for that. And so spent about 90 days building fake mock-up dashboard concepts on my computer. What what is this? What would this look like? It's only done through technology. So What's this going to look like on my computer or my phone? So you were building these dashboard mockups yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were you using to build these mockups? Google Images, Microsoft products, PowerPoint, just copy, paste. Anything that you symbols. could piece together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Very it, good. it probably took a lot longer than it should have, but I'm not a tech guy. Well, that's, no, that's why I'm asking you though, because a lot of people would let that be a barrier to coming up with a concept of a digital platform. I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a developer. I can't make some clean, you know, Spotfire dashboard as my, you know, kind of to get a visual of it. But if you're just piecing things together, you know, it, it works out. And the most valuable thing is just to get whatever's in your head out onto paper or something. So whether that's drawing it, like literally, so for Wellhub, like I have a binder that I use for literally just drawings because I tried to do it in a software and it took me like eight times as long yeah. to do it. And I said, screw this. I just grabbed pen and paper it's literally an artist sketchbook, and I would just start drawing these dashboards, and I'd send it over to Mark, and I'm like, "Here's what we need to build." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "This, okay, this works." <laughs> yeah, let let me be an encouragement to anybody that doesn't know anything about technology, you know, or have any sort of investor network, to say that it can be done with with execution and, and hard work. And, exactly. You know, just locking yourself in an office for you know 20 hours and just banging out images on your computer and like. Man, I need a I need a picture of a map without you know Google written on it or without somebody else's stuff on it. Ryan's in there with Microsoft Paint, just drawing pictures. <laughs> this is a picture of Texas. Yeah. Here's your truck with two little wheels on it. <laughs> so while we're on this this topic, let, let's talk about the development of the platform and how you guys went about that. You know, a lot of people like Jake over here got a technical co-founder that can code and develop and he built out the software. How did you go about building out the platform? So, yeah, so I built all the, the mock-up dashboards and, you know, it was, a, it's a, it was just a bunch of stuff that, that I felt like would have been useful during my time in the field. But then it was, okay, we're trying to connect the entire supply chain here. So it's not just my opinion of what needs to be done. So... I took all these, I, I went to Office Max, I printed them all out and color-coded dashboards, pieces of paper, books, and then I drove 2,600 miles through Texas and Oklahoma and went out to the field, went out to the rigs, the right-of-ways, you know, talked to a bunch of guys in the trucking industry down here in Houston and just said, like, here's what I'm trying to do. Is this something you would buy? Is this something you would use? What do you like? What do you not like? What would you suggest that I add to it? And I took all this feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then I went back to the drawing board again and, and put the rest of it together. And when, you know, when I had that, that proof of concept done, then it, was, then it was off to the races. Then it was like, okay, I don't know anything about tech. Now what do I do? 
you go find a, a developer. You know, you go find find an outfit that will go and, and build this thing for you. And you've got to find, you know, had to do it the hard way. You know, I've had to figure this out on my own. So, you know, do you know mapping? Do you know apps? Do you know tracking? Do you know UI, UX? Do you know DevOps? Can you build an enterprise level product out of the gates? Because in the oil field, you know, this is an industry of, of people following other people. You know, when you tell your kids, if your friends jump off a cliff, would you jump off that cliff too? You hope they say no. Well, in the oil field, it's yes. You know, I'm not jumping you off that cliff. You just get that first person to jump. That's it. That's all it takes. And, yep. it, and then it's a snowball from there. So Also on the flip side, if you don't have that enterprise solution ready and polished up and you have a bad run with that first company, it can be a problem as well. Exactly. I think one of the most important things that you said, let's, let's stop and take a moment on this. The research phase. The research yep. phase and like getting the feedback. And I think there's so many people that we've talked to that I've seen so many entrepreneurs make this mistake, not just in oil and gas, but just in general, where they'll, they'll have the idea, they'll go straight to execution, they'll think it's the greatest thing in the world, they'll spend all this money and all this time, sometimes even years and millions of dollars, and they go to the market afterwards, right. and they're like, hey, here's what we built. And the market's like, what is this? We don't need it, right? right? So it's going through that feedback phase and talking to the people who are actually going to be your customers and allowing them the opportunity to give you the feedback to mold and shape the product that they're actually going to use is like the most valuable exercise any entrepreneur can ever do. And that's something that it really honestly shouldn't even be done once. So this should be repeated throughout the process. Like, you know, set, put it on your calendar. Hey, every three quarters or every year, whatever it may be, we're going to go back and we're going to get more feedback about our development schedule and make sure that we're delivering value every step of the way. I, think I that, know I've done that. I screwed up. I think that's what was cool with Ryan is that you built out, you know, this mock dashboard took it to the market, said, hey, what do you guys think about this? Got feedback on it and then went back, started finishing it, polishing it up. I love how just like cowboy that is. It's just like, hey, I got my paper drawings. <laughs> so what do you guys field, think, man? What we you do. know, it's just like, <laughs> hey. Wildcatters. You just put them out on the hood of the truck. You're like, what do you guys think of this software? You know, like, I love it. <laughs> well, you, you got to ask yourself when you're starting a company is, do I want to figure that out after I've raised, you know, $10 million of somebody else's money. Do I want to then find out that nobody needs this, wants it, or has any interest in it? Or do I want to do it, you know, while I'm driving around in my Jeep Cherokee in West Texas, asking a guy out at the rig, would you want to do this? Because I can throw that paperwork and drive home yep. with no loss other than gas. It's a lot different when you have fiduciary responsibility to Very investors much. and you're like, oh shit, the yeah. market doesn't want this product. Or, you know, you raise $10 million, you spend $3 million on development and find out that the product needs another $3 million in development for changes that your customers want. So absolutely. We also, so just to kind of reiterate too how we did the research phase is we also built probably 70% of the product and then we let customers have it. So we put it in the hands of about 10 companies and varying, varying types of chemical companies, directional drilling pipe. And we said, you know, use it. And then we want the, we want your feedback. And so then we built the, the remaining 30% of it, based on their feedback. So it's a constant, just like you said, it's mm -hmm. going back and saying, what do you like? What do you not like? It, it's not always great news to hear that, you know, but it's also you're building a product for your customer, not for yourself. I'm not going to get back in the pipe business. Therefore, I don't need recall it, but I know a lot of people who do. And so I want to build something for them. Mm -hmm. So let me, so let's play devil's advocate with this. I, I like, I like talking about this. Yeah. So I think Steve Jobs had a famous saying that he built a lot of things that people didn't even know that they wanted. Right. Yeah. So how do you, how do you walk this line between 
offering something that they may have never experienced or could even think of themselves. Also paired that up with them knowing exactly what they want. Cause I thought about this a lot myself. It's just like, it, there's a super, super fine line between almost like completely polar opposite, I guess, points of view. So I'm looking over at my business development guy over here and he's laughing. We just, we have a running joke in our sales group that, you know, when somebody says, you've got 20 minutes to show me your widget, we block out three or four hours of our day and, <laughs> and we'll go into these, these companies and, and show them our product. And it's like showing them fire for the first time. They're like, wait, 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 hold on. You mean like all of my vendors? Yes, all of your vendors. Every one of them? Like even their trucking companies? Yeah, we're tracking trucks. It's, it's all of them. And it's like showing them fire for the first time. And, you know, and they're bringing people in, operations, logistics, traffic, all these people, and to see this meeting. And, and we do run into that. It's like people will come to us and say, we're not even looking for this because we didn't believe there was a solution to this problem. This is just, this is a normal day in and day out problem for us. And you've just walked in here with the solution for that. So, you know, we, we laugh about that because we're, we're kind of running into that too, is everybody recognizes this problem. There's just been no solution for it. It's, therefore, nobody's looking for us. Mm -hmm. So we go out, we knock on doors, and it's like, hey, you got, you got five minutes. Tell me what you want. And they're distracted. They're checking their emails. And by the end of the meeting, you know, they've brought in their whole their whole group into the meeting to demo this. I love when that happens. Well, think about hey, it. Janet, get in here. Get, yeah, come, yeah. Look, come with this guy's guy. Yeah. Well, well, think about it. I mean, you know, most of these people are extremely busy. They're having to run around day in, day out just to keep up with their operations. They don't have a lot of time to think about innovative solutions. And it's up to the innovators to kind of present these solutions and open up their mind to, hey, there's a better way to do this. Actually, going back to your quote about Steve Jobs, you know, a lot of people talk about the Henry Ford quote about if he would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse yeah. when he was looking at building the, the Model T. And someone brought up a really good point on Twitter the other day. It's like, well, if you would have really listened to them, they did tell you what they wanted. They wanted to go faster. And I was like, oh, shit, my mind's blown. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's very good to listen to the feedback, get that research phase from the, the end consumer, the people that actually be buying and using the product and then taking that and putting, you know, using the creativity and innovation that software can give to introduce new things to them and give them a new way to do things. So and that, you got to kind of balance it. And that's important. If you look at, at tech, if you, if you download an app on your phone, if you, you know, use Salesforce or any product on your computer, they're asking you all the time, would you refer this to a friend? Do you like this? Give us your feedback. They're screaming for the feedback because they want to build something you want. You don't see that anywhere in the oil field. I mean, we've just built those features into our platform so we can, we can engage our users in-app, in the platform, in the dashboard. We can not only, you know, see what they're doing in there and where they might be getting stuck or confused and then build a faster way to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's something that we as a company are always looking for because that's, look, when you bring anything into an oil and gas company or a service company, they're looking for those efficiencies. You know, it, mm -hmm. we, we tell the story of the Rice Brothers all the time. You know, mm -hmm. those guys were notorious for how can we carve out three minutes here? How can we carve out five minutes there? You know, how can we save costs, reduce time, get from seven day wells to 6.7 day wells? And, mm -hmm. you know, they would do things like, when does your crew go to the bathroom? You know, when do they tool up? When do they put all their stuff together? When do they walk up to the rig floor? And if that, if there's a, a piece of that schedule 
where they can save three minutes. Well, that that's what you're going to do. And so, you know, it, it'll be neat to see the industry kind of morph into how are we doing, get into the metrics, how can we be better and more efficient? Because we are, you know, stuck in this cycle of 50 to $70 oil and it's just mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And how, how can we be profitable in that? Absolutely. Jay, did you read the book Zero to One? I did. I think it was that book where they talked about innovators and pushing products to market. And I think it mentioned specifically like Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Like think about any time Facebook, you know, remember they used to change their platform a lot back in the day. Like they just push these massive updates. So it changed the whole UI. Well, they and, do They do now as well. I don't know if you've, you've noticed. And I, I'm not like, sure. If I mean, yeah, they just did one like two weeks ago. Yeah. But it was talking about how you know, humans are resistant to change just naturally. Like we don't like change. It's uncomfortable, but it's up to innovators to kind of force people into change and push new products. And, you know, if you ask people what they want, a lot of times they don't know what they want. Like think about Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, all of these things. Did any of us know that we wanted that stuff beforehand? (laughs) Do do we still want it? I don't know if we still want it. I have a good time on Twitter, so I like Twitter. It's got a lot of good memes on it, so I want it. But, you know, I I think about things like that in oil and gas. And, you know, it is up to founders, you know, like yourself or solutions like Rig Callout. You know, you got to kind of force your way in there and show people, hey, look, this is going to make your life easier. I know what you're doing is it's fine right now. It's working. You know, you're losing your hair, you know, running around looking for your pipe. But... (laughs) you know, we've got a better way to do it. And I think I, it's because a lot of people, if you were to ask them what they want, they, they tell you based on what they think is possible. And if they think something like this or anything else that we've seen that's innovative in the space, they think that's not possible, they're not aware of it, they don't consider that to be an option on the table, right? And I think that goes back to what Colin said. It is those innovators who are able to push and say, here's a new option on the table. You know what's funny though? It's kind of a unique situation in oil and gas because... Like when you look at a software like Rig Callout, like look at other industries and we already like look at GPS, yeah. like uh, on, our, on our phones, like every single person has the ability to track, get directions on their phone. And so it's, it's like we're offering these innovative solutions, but at the same time, it's like, hey, look, we've been using this stuff in other industries or aspects of life for the better part of a decade now. It's time so, that we apply them to these huge multi-million dollar operations. So you know, it's not that far-fetched to think, hey, we should have an app where we can track a truck via GPS and have a workflow or communication platform built into it. Mm-hmm. It's not that far-fetched to think that, you know, that could be built out. And obviously, you know, you guys are doing it. So I, I think that we're kind of moving into a time in oil and gas where, you know, we talk about the great crew change a lot in oil and gas, but millennials who have grown up with this type of technology are starting to look at these problems or even you know, just like yourself from, you saw these problems firsthand, you know, dealing with it. You were the guy taking the phone calls at 1030 at night, you know, answering your pipes 20 minutes away. (laughs) And and, I mean, you saw that and you're like, Hey, there's gotta be a better way to do this. There's gotta be a software solution. So I think that, you know, we're, we're in this really cool time in oil and gas tech where we're able to take these technologies, these concepts, ideas from other industries and apply them to our industry and make everyone's life easier. Yeah. I think the neat part about, about, the, the domestic oil field is, they're extremely resourceful. They will always find a way. You know, prior to 08, you know, I came into the industry in December of 08. And, you know, that was a time with, you know, family legacy oil and gas companies. You know, they were out there 
making money hand over fist at that time. And, you know, and then you had the, the crash of 08, you know, and everybody panicked. And that's when you started to see private equity start to enter the oil field. You know, you had Dave on as, as one of your first podcasts, you know, yeah. and I remember my first call with Dave, you know, I was trying to sell him pipe when he started One Energy, you know, and, and I feel like the better, the better part of that hour and a half, two hour conversation that I had with him was how I could get pipe to him, you know, and, and keep those communication lines open better than anyone else. You know, and it's a great conversation. It was a cold call. It sounds like, you know, all the people that you've had on the show that have met with him started that relationship off some form of cold call with him. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure on that episode he mentioned like developing a relationship with the pipe salesman, but he was like, he's like, you know, talking about how sales is about relationships okay. and like he'll take cold, cold calls, but he's like, I like the guys that like make friends with me and then I'll call you up when I need, when I need pipe. But yeah, David, it's funny, man. Like just saying how like full circle our podcast, like we have several podcasts that are like intertwined together through David Ramsonwood, and we just saw him last week and we were talking to him about that. It's pretty funny. Small world. Is that me? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't know. If it... That's what I'm saying. Go back and listen to it. I swear we talked about a pipe salesman analogy, so it could have very well been you. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, you, you go out, you build the software, you know, we talked about how you kind of bootstrapped it. You guys are funded now, correct? We are funded and we actually started with funding. So again, okay, going cool. back to, you know, all of your listeners out there that, you know, they have an idea, they don't have the capital. Software is expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether you bring in a technical co-founder or you pay somebody to do it, it's expensive. You're paying either, either equity or cash. It is. So, and, you know. you know, equity is more expensive than cash. So yep. the the thing is, is, is we started Rig Call Out with an idea. You know, there are investors out there that invest in ideas, you know professional investors, not your grandma, not your mom, not your dad, you know, real people. And, you know, I did this with a wife and two kids, you know, I had tangible risk if this thing didn't work out or doesn't work out, you know, we have a mortgage and we have, you know, kids to feed. So I think, can we, can we talk about this process a little bit? You don't have to mention any, any names or amount not related to your funding, but let's talk about this. You know, you raised funding on an idea, you know, you had your, you had your concept how did you, how did you go about, you know, a lot of people have a hard time if you're not kind of in the tech scene or like the coast, you know, either New York or Silicon Valley and oil and gas, it seems that it's hard to get funding from, you know, capital groups, you know, not sure. your, not your grandma's, not your, your dad, uncle, just based off of an idea, you know, they want to see traction, especially a lot of the groups in Houston want to see a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. So can you just give us some insight of how you went about that process, how you got connected with the capital group that funded you, you know, et cetera? So I, I think more importantly is you have to have a viable business concept. Like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to build, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it a viable business that somebody's willing to pay for? You know, I did a lot of that myself with my own time, my own money, trying to figure out if mm-hmm. this is something people would pay for. Now, those words are only as good as, you know, at that moment when I have a piece of paper in front of them, but it, it proves out the concept enough to take the risk. You know, I think, you know, having a, having a history of sales really helps. You know, I've, I've been to a lot of networking events and, and startups and it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of developers and technical people that are having trouble raising capital. And so, can you get in front of somebody and have a conversation? Can you build a relationship with somebody you just met? 
can you find somebody on LinkedIn, you know, that is an investor or, you know, can you, can you network in your own group of friends, you know, to find people that are willing to put up capital because, you know, a lot of the, the rules out there make it difficult to find somebody, you know, to legally raise cash. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I met one of my first investors on a mission trip in Guatemala, you know, and it, wow. it all started from there. And it was just, it was a conversation in a bus. He's a, he's an attorney. And, you know, we were just talking patent law and, you know, and the, and the conversation grew and grew and grew and grew from there. And that's, that's how that whole network started. Now, you know, you, you have to educate yourself, you know, you have to go on, on places like Quora, you know, and you've got to ask questions, you've got to answer questions, you've got to do your research. What is, you know, how do I raise money? Oh, you make a pitch deck. Well, what is that? Is that a business plan or is that a PowerPoint? You know, and then really get into, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of information is necessary. And you've got to do all the work yourself. Like there's, well, there's, no there's so many like people forget like this iPhone right here in my hand is one of the most powerful tools ever yeah. created. And we just carry it around in our pocket, but you have unlimited access to information. I mean, you can go, if you wanted to, you could go on seedinvest.com and they have a whole resource library of what's a convertible note and all these investor materials that you can learn how to raise capital. And I mean, there's books out there, venture deals, you know, that you should know how all of that works. Google just how to raise money for your startup and read everything on the first, the results for first two pages and then buy like venture deals. And you're pretty much set at that point. I feel like that's your, that's your super fast under two week MBA of like how to raise money. And of course you're still going to fuck it up, but that's a good, what I love love about Ryan's story though is, you know, one of his initial investors, he met on a bus in Guatemala. Like (laughs) dude, people like, you know, ask Jake, like, I'll just talk to anybody, you know, and just could be the dude like next to me in line at Kroger and Colin talks to himself in the mirror. Dude, I'll talk to myself, man. I'm full of good conversations, <laughs> but you know, you, you never know what's going to come out of, I, I just take so much pride in my network and the, the, the quality of people that I have in my network. And it's just that, you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody and everybody at whatever time of the day, even, you know, if you don't have anything to offer me, like I just like making friends and you never know what comes from it. And that story is a perfect example. It's just, it, it's a level of, of humbleness that you have to take and say, I'm going to ask the question cause I don't know the answer. You mm-hmm. know, I think, I think, you know, especially as guys, it's really easy for us to think we know everything. That's why we don't stop and ask for directions. <laughs> it's even worse now. Cause we have an iPhone that tells us where to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. be quiet. Siri said to turn right here. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, you've really got to put in the work, you've really got to put in the effort, you know, and, and nobody's here to tell you, you know, and I, I've, I've got a great network of, of people that have given me information and, you know, they've helped me navigate some of this stuff, but, you know, I'm, I'm the poster child for all the excuses, which is I'm not a tech person. I don't know how to code. I don't have an investor network. I don't have, you know, a prototype that I built up, you know, it's just, it's, working hard and you know mm-hmm. does it fail i don't know i don't know yeah but if you have a viable, if you have a viable idea and you know you're able I, I think a lot of people just undervalue the relationships in this business and in this process because you build up you know obviously i think one of your competitive edges was your experience firsthand sure. 
the network that you built up through that? I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people that are still in the space that could be potential clients and then building up relationships with investors that believe in you and know the type of person that you that you are. And they have the faith in you to take that idea from paper to actually executing it. So I think, you know, when you boil it all down, it comes down to relationships. It does. It also comes down to just knowing the intricacies of, of the oil field, too. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not when you when you look at something like Uber Freight, which is essentially a load board, you know, mm-hmm. I need a truck to go from here to there. What's my rate? You know, you, you can't use a product like that in the oil field because there's so many intricacies, intricacies and unique properties of the oil field. Like how wide of a trailer do I need? Do I need pipe sticks and chalks? These are not options that, you know, you can find on just mm-hmm. a general app and. You know, these are all problems that, that exist in the oil field. You know, how many times, you know, are you telling your trucking company, don't, I, I can't have any drivers that don't speak English because nobody out here speaks Spanish or mm-hmm. any other language. So they have to understand English. This is a really good topic before we wrap this up, because we were talking with the oil field marketplace on the podcast a while back, and we were talking about what they're doing. And obviously, you know, the big elephant in the room is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Will Amazon ever move into the the parts distribution industry or for oil and gas? And that was my exact response is that when you're looking at especially, you know, last mile, but all the intricacies of oil and gas, like I'd love to see Amazon stocking, you know, five thousand pound frack valves and <laughs> distributing them out to, you know, some lease in west texas where the directions include take a ride at the purple gatorade bottle on the corner and if you've driven you know past the second tank battery you've gone too far like i'd love to see a big tech company you know handle that because there are so many little things you know just like you said pipe chalks and 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 things of that nature so it's funny i was actually i was talking to chip davis with houston ventures the other day and we were talking about tech like Oil and gas companies do not want to interface with tech companies that run in a horizontal sequence. They want vertical integrated oil and gas companies that are focused on oil and gas and that's it. And really has to be that way in my opinion because there's just it's too complicated yeah, of an I industry. I think I think I think that's what a major failure or a major reason why certain companies have failed, like the very, very large companies, the Googles and potentially the Amazons. Obviously they have very large cloud contracts, but they have not taken over the entire industry like they were claiming they would be able to do. And I think it's because they just don't understand the intricacies of, of this industry. Mm-hmm. There's, there's another component to that, which, you know, is really important and, and that is data. And so who owns my data? Who can see my data? Who can see my customer data, my analytical data? You know, this is a problem that exists in the oil field and everybody knows it. And so you're seeing the big companies try to build a solution for it. That's why you're seeing these apps popping up all over the place in the oil field and and their adoption rates are very, very low. And that's because, you know, you're if a if a trucking company builds an app to provide this visibility, we all know the oil field relies on more than one trucking company. And so if I'm the guy out in the field and I have to use this app for this trucking company and that app for that trucking company and that app for that trucking company, it gets to be too complicated. It's too many faster too many apps, too phone. many logins. Yep. It is. And so you know, our adoption rates for drivers last month were 100%, and they're near 100% this month as well. Wow. Nice. So our adoption rates are very high because, you know, any trucking company can work with any vendor or supplier, and their data is safe because we're third party. We're at arm's length. We're not a trucking company. We're not a supplier. We're not an operator. So we're not, you're not providing me customer data that I can go and take and give to somebody else. We, we can't do that. You know, that, 
that won't go over long in the oil field if you're taking that data and selling it to anyone. And Absolutely. we've heard horror stories about that. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's front and center of every contract that we have that we won't do that. I got one more hot seat question before we end this. Boom, boom, boom. Everyone knows what's coming. Is that the hot seat music? Yeah, we need a, we need one of those soundboards with a button where we just, Joey, get on that. <laughs> <laughs> Blockchain related to supply chain and logistics, perfect fit. Do you guys ever see that being part of your roadmap in the next five years? Obviously, early stage in the technology right now, but I just think in terms of like smart contracts, you know, a lot of these companies could interface with each other without exposing any proprietary data or executing you know, payouts on your platform. Is that something that you guys are looking at right now or no? We, we are looking at everything. You know, what, what's most important is what, what works. You know, if blockchain, AI, machine learning, all these things, they're buzzwords. Mm-hmm. They're important. Everybody wants to chase the buzzword. They want to invest in the buzzword, but, you know, they all have their application. And if, if it works for our product and our customers, then absolutely, we're going to do it. And, and so... What, what we have to be cautious with blockchain is is being able to adjust or change the information. Blockchain, again, is, is a solution that, you know, if I have 100 Bitcoin, I always have 100 Bitcoin. I mm-hmm. can't just go in there and say, oh, hey, all of a sudden I have a million Bitcoin. And so the oil field in its uniqueness needs to be adaptable, especially in the field when you're looking at you know, last mile delivery for things that are outside of people's control, traffic, weather, you know, accidents, all those things change the dynamic. Well, if the ETA is changed, how does that affect? How is that affected in blockchain? You know, if we need to change drivers midstream, if we have a truck breakdown permanently and we have to swap trailers, how does that happen in blockchain? There are all these things that happen where, you know, the oil field last mile just has to be very flexible. Yeah. So with that, I think there's, you know, like we've seen Data Gumbo doing with smart contracts. I think there is a place for that, you know, where you've got multiple parties, whether it's your your shipper, your your pipe company, and an EMP, for example, and you have different parameters set in your smart contract, and it's a permissible blockchain. So once the the delivery is sent and it's received, everyone can go off there, mark it off. Yes, this happened. This is true. And then once it has all three signatures, it can be executed. I think that's pretty low hanging fruit in the future. But back to your point, you know, one, the technology is early. And then two, you know, things are things change and things are dynamic in oil and gas. So how how is that treated? But yeah, we don't have to get too deep into that. I just wanted to see if it was on y'all's roadmap. But I like your answer. We're always looking at everything. So very very political politician answer. <laughs> no, no, no. You have you have to look at the considering all our options. <laughs> you you have to look at that that example that you just gave, and that is, you know, if all three people sign off on this adjustment, then we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what if the pipe guy, you know, that is the supplier, is on vacation or in a meeting or something's happening? That change can't take place. Yeah. So, you know, you you guys have built software. You know, it's like. It's black and white. It is whatever you tell it to do, that's what it does. Mm-hmm. And there's no way around that unless it's broken. Yeah. And so, you know, if you if you define these parameters out, then you could run into a situation where, you know, oh, my dispatcher's in a meeting or he's in the bathroom or he's, you know, he's stuck in traffic away from his phone. We can't make this change take place. And so we just, we have to try to tell the future and 
what's the worst case scenario and plan for that? Did I tell you about my friends that raised money via an ICO for a shipping logistics platform? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to name their names, but they raised $30 million and now their market, that was their market cap. And now it's like around $1 million, but it's, you know, took the complete opposite approach of you guys because you're focusing on your core platform. You've got a good platform. It's focused on oil and gas. These guys, they just wanted to raise a lot of money and came up with a, <laughs> a way to raise a lot of money and really didn't have a platform in the in the beginning, but it just said blockchain. So that's what they were running on. Anyways. Back to the buzzword comment. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful with my wording here just in case they're listening. But no, I, I think, you know, what's needed now is what you guys are building and you know obviously you guys said that the analytic package will be available hopefully sometime next year and then you know you can start looking at alternative buzzword technologies blockchain machine learning once you've perfected your core product so if anyone wants to find you where can they find you what's y'all's website it's rigcallout.com okay rigcallout.com twitter social media LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. The website and chat with us. You can call us. My cell phone's on the on my LinkedIn page. So. Okay. Awesome. You just have your cell phone out on your LinkedIn page. That's right. Man. That's that's two podcast. Our last podcast ghost. He or podcast guest. Gosh, I say ghost. podcast ghost. <laughs> we're, we're summoning demons in here now. <laughs> 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 um, he uh, he gave his uh, cell phone number out on on the air, so that's when you know that you're a real real founder when you can just call a cell phone. Call me this phone. Do not disturb. I'm like the only person who can call him. Well, look, I spent ten years in drilling and completions operations, so when I quit my job, the first thing I did was turn my phone on silence, and no one can call me. <laughs> it took me six months to get used to sleeping without my phone, like. Right Right next to my head <laughs> after leaving the pipe business you you think you hear a vibration in your phone you exactly. think you hear it ringing you jump on that's it what, that's what i tried telling jake i said dude you know the peace of mind i had that nobody was calling me like i could just turn my phone off during the night and like i wasn't getting called out to go to the gulf of mexico <laughs> in the middle of the night so all right ryan man we appreciate you coming on the show guys if you want to get in contact with ryan to get a demo on his platform go to recallout.com or find them on linkedin also search ryan hunt on linkedin and you can pull them up ryan thanks for coming on man thanks for having me guys i yep. appreciate what you're doing yep thanks, thanks for coming out